Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the program. If you're listening to us on High FM, highfm.com, 101.9 on the Jerusalem Post, it is good to be with you on your culture, politics and current affairs show and the emphasis for this particular show is going to be on that first part. Culture, so if you woke up this morning and you were eating your cornflakes and you're wondering what connects Ethiopian Israelis in Hadera with Nelson Mandela, with South Africa, with paintings, with jewelry, because I'm assuming most of you think that way when you wake up first thing in the morning, then of course you will know that the answer is Beverly Price. Uh, and if you didn't know that, you will by the end of the show today. Beverly Price is a creative, she's an artist, she's an interior, desi- interior designer, excuse me, a jewelry designer. Uh, she probably does interiors as well. She's multifaceted in terms of her creative abilities and uh, particularly with her influ- in- influence and expertise on contemporary jewelry. And she's going to be talking to us today about the kind of work that she does and the particular project that she has been engaged with to try and uplift uh, parts of both South African society uh, through South African design jewelry and parts of Ethiopian Israeli society, a very, very interesting collaborative art project. Beverly, welcome to the show. Nice to be with you on the New Blue Review. Thank you so much. Thank you, Benji. So first of all, tell us, uh, how did you get into into art? Uh, I believe you, you, you started initially on the medical route and then decided that wasn't for you. <laughs> yeah, I actually, um, I followed, um, I wanted to work in a paramedical field. Initially, actually studied a year of medicine and then went and became a speech therapist. Um, and uh, I always had it in my mind that I would work with my hands. I had been interested in as a kid. Um, and uh, I practiced for a number of years and when I got to Israel uh, in 1983 a couple of years working as a speech therapist and then actually I was working for the IUA and uh, they started a program in the Shkunat Bukharin in Jerusalem uh, amongst other things teaching uh, jewelry techniques and so I went and did that course and uh, uh, that sort of opened a door for me to working with my hands. Um, uh, when I trained in the UK for for three years, and then came back to Israel uh, from '93 to '95 and had a studio. But at that time, I worked as a goldsmith, and my speciality was enameling, which is uh, really basically putting glass in a kiln on precious metal, in and um, making jewelry from that. So. Um, I can speak freely unless you want to ask me any more questions. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think it is fascinating. Different artists have different journeys, and and you have gone into this uh, jewelry aspect. So, what is it about working with jewelry that particularly talks to you? Is it the fact that it is glass, the the, the precious metals, the fact that people wear it, or what draws you to this actual part of the art? Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. You know, I had a really good teacher at university here and in Joburg at Witz, uh, Alan Cramp, late Alan Cramp. And he said to me, you make the work and then you speak about it or you ask the questions afterwards. And so um, in my early years, in fact, my first engagement with handwork was working for a company called Harari Harps in Jerusalem. And I made harps. I worked as a wood, uh, as a carpenter. Oh, you were a harpist. <laughs> well... <laughs> That's not a, a technical term. A, harp, a harpist adjunct. <laughs> I mean, without me, they wouldn't have been able to play, let's put it that way. So I learned this skill on the job. 
And I, I loved it, except I just sort of felt maybe a little too masculine. I didn't get on with the sawdust very well. Um, and I just, I knew this wasn't for me, but we had actually a woman from Bitsalel from the art school come in and she used to do the settings on, on the harps, uh, for these beautiful harps called David, David's harps. And I thought, no, that's really what I wanted to do. So I actually. All right, just stop yeah, for me yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah. I have to Sorry. ask you that a harp. Yeah. <laughs> is there a market for harps anymore? Like do people buy harps? Is it a particularly Israeli thing that, that people are, are even making harps anymore? Well, you know, the people that I worked for are very pro, um, uh, the third temple. So right. they, they kind of advocate that we need to be ready. So, so we were making these David Hobbs. I mean, in retrospect and also in, a, in, a, in, in advance of, you know, um, the need for having David's harp in a temple. But, you know, they were. And, and so who was buying them? I mean, was it for museums? Were they collectors, yeah, people who, collectors. who are ready for the temple who no, want to be able I to play just, a harp? No, look, those were really, uh, adornment. Those were sort of decorative objects, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were bought, they were bought as precious objects, magnificently made. Uh, I think that the company's intention was, you know, uh, in fact, they have, they have a David's harp in, the uh, museum of the third temple in mm. in the old city, one of their works, uh, Harari. They have they have a, a David's harp, a lyre, a y r e, um, harp in 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 the in the museum there. So yeah, it was an amazing environment. And then, so yeah, just to say then, um, with jewelry, uh, the reason I mentioned the, the matter of the retrospect, in other words, make the work and think about it afterwards, is that what I realised in in living in South, back in South Africa. Um, and I say this because it governs a lot of my work, is that um, I make jewelry because of my interest in the living body, living human body. So initially it was just about making pretty things and having something uh, nice to make, which uh, which was saleable, and that was my initial training in the UK. You know, everything is discreet and it's little and it's sparkly and it's shiny, maybe it's got a diamond you know, uh, which is, which is to really credit and, um, uh, acknowledge the, you know, the very strong conditioning or discourse, the tradition of jewelry. You know, people know it as a, as, um, as a precious object. You're trained really from birth, either you're going to have your little bit of De Beers or Anglo Gold Ashanti, you get your first charms. So it's a strong, it's a strong product, you know, which exists. It's got its market. So there was, you know, there was a commercial, a commercial dimension initially. And I, in fact, <laughs> when I come to think of it, I wanted nothing to do with art initially. It was all about the craft and the trade and, you know, learning in England. Um, and it was only when I got back to South Africa in 1995 that um, I started to think, you know, people don't really get precious craft in South Africa yet. You know, we were just in transition and the word craft was very much associated with rural beads, beads uh, mm. and even, you know, the whole sort of slippage of the thinking is inferior. And so, you know, the, the idea that you could have fine craft is like a paradox. Um, and, you know, when, when one goes, for example, to a place like the Witz Art Museum and you see the integrity of the objects which, which were bought during the time of apartheid, made, made hundreds of years ago, um, you know, and how they are completed, how they are made with anonymity. That's, that's the hardest part to actually get over. Uh, you know, we, we come from, this country comes from a very long and strong tradition of adornment related specifically to the body and to ritual needs, cultural needs. So this, this really, um, 
really opened for me when I when I went back to Wits, which was in 2000. Went and did a, a fine arts postgraduate degree, just to um, to kind of begin to see uh, jewelry in a new context, rather than seeing it always only in the traditional precious mineral, gold, diamonds uh, thinking, to understand that um, we can look to a bigger picture of adornment. So I'll stop there. Maybe it's a Mm. lot of information. Yeah, it's it's very interesting you talk about uh, going from having just a a sparkly thing to to adornment. Mm. Uh, It it has a a perspective, I think, that... it's more personalized. You know, it's not actually about the blinging anymore. Yeah. Uh, if you have a particular piece, and I know from, you know, occasionally I, even myself bought a piece of jewelry for mm. someone and, and they wear it a lot because it's not so much that the piece is pretty, although I think that's important, yeah. but it's because they feel connected to it. And I think that's what you're getting at culturally yeah. when you talk about engaging with art as, mm. as an adornment piece. You're right. It's, uh, you know, jewelry is, uh, by its nature, very intimate. You know, you place it on your body, um, and and with repetition. So you you do develop a relationship with the object to the point of people having heirlooms, uh, and the consistency of say a wedding ring, a wedding band. You know, that being even some kind of law in you know in some cultures, uh, doesn't have to have a lot of uh, intrinsic value. So, for example, one of the most beautiful little things that I was ever given was a necklace that a friend had found on East London Beach made from straws and little aluminium, you know, sterling aluminium balls joined together. And, you know, just looking at this object, I have it in my workshop. It's just an inspiration. Specifically, I think South African, South Africa has so much to, to contribute in this line, which is about improvisation and innovation and then how, how you make do with what you've got and and nevertheless achieve this urgency to adorn. There's like a desire and a need, whether it comes from the cultural history of South Africa, um, you know, or, you know, or just uh, the love of the love of wanting to adorn, you know, which for its for in itself, you know, which which we see in South Africa. Men wear jewelry, uh, black men wear jewelry, more men are wearing jewelry today. It's wonderful to see, you know. So. Now let's talk a little bit more. Uh, you you are an ambassador for contemporary jewelry in South Africa, and you've done a lot of very interesting collaborations, stuff around Nelson Mandela, uh, stuff around uh, Oslo and Norway and the Peace Prize, and all sorts of things around that. Talk to us about how you move from the adornment of jewelry to m- more this exhibition space that you've also been involved with. Yeah, look, it's um. It's really quite amazing, quite astonishing to me. You know, you, you, you make what's in your head and in your heart, and you're lucky if somebody sees it and then you develop an audience or a dialogue, you know, with, with an audience. And so what happened was that in the early 2000s, I was working a lot with recycled materials, and some people were visiting from Germany to the Craft Council. They saw my work, and they suggested that I exhibit at a show called Klimt, or rather a show called Schmucksonderschau, nice German word, um, and it means <laughs> jewelry special show. <laughs> <laughs> Very German, right? <laughs> Very German. Get, and, get it across. And not the Jewish, not the Jewish schmuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I, I ended up having my work submitted, and that, that exhibition is about, it's for people who are working on the edge, really breaking, um, Breaking concepts of, you know, sort of preconceived notions of what jewelry is in terms of material, how it works on the body, whether it can be comfortable, it's big, small, you know, and just 
kind of breaking the rules, checking the rules, yeah. So parenthetically, I'll say to you that I saw, I mean, I exhibited there three times. I saw stuff going on, you know, with the Europeans, which, frankly, in this country, the way we were playing with materials, I say we, but I mean indigenous South Africans were doing this long before the Europeans. So, you know, there's a lot that we could teach the Europeans about how, how to play with materials, basically. So um, from from that um, from that exhibition, it really opened doors for me. I got invited to exhibit at the Museum of Art and Design in New York, and then they commissioned a work from me. And and then I've exhibited there actually five times. And um, and then um, it's actually Natalie Natalie Knight, if you know her. So uh, she uh, connected me. Uh, I'll cut the story short. But I ended up making a very large neck piece, which was about Nelson Mandela's life. And uh, that piece also had been shown many, many times out of South Africa. So um, let's see. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be speaking again to Beverly Price about art and what it means and how you can even get involved. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. You're back with 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. And we are reviewing art today. We are getting into that zone. If you're feeling creative and listening to us and want to do things, we hope that this show is going to inspire you. We're speaking to Beverly Price, who's sort of expert and ambassador when it comes to contemporary jewelry design, but she's done all sorts of other stuff. And we're also going to be talking about art and tikkun olam, about how can it really make a difference and some practical ways that uh, you can be involved in with that as well. Beverly, you're just telling us before the break, you, you made a giant neck piece about the life of Nelson Mandela. So unpack that for us a little bit. Is it to tell his story? Was it reflective of his personality? You know, it's such a Big presence, such a big mythology around the man. How do you make a neck piece around that? Yeah, well, you reflect exactly the feelings that I had in advance of making it. It took me about six months to get going. I was just so in awe that I'd been asked to make anything to do with Nelson Mandela. Um, so first of all, I had to get permission to use the images that I was going to use because my work... Uh, I'll just I'll just add in here that although I was trained as a goldsmith, I lived when I came back to South Africa in KwaZulu-Natal in Ikopo. For three years And living there um, I, I invented Yeah, it's the right word A technique of using pictures and jewellery It started off with wanting to make A silent movie around the neck So I made a story around the neck And from this, you know, I realised uh, Actually that the format lent itself To some to like infinite, infinite content uh, So just to fast forward um, So I was commissioned To make this work And uh I referenced the, it was suggested to me, Natalie Knight suggested, that I use the, the neck piece that uh, Nelson Mandela wore around the time of his sentencing for the Ravonia trials in the 60s. There was an, a, a picture taken by Eli Weinberg, who um, was, in fact, Mandela was wearing a, a, a bed sheet around him, looked like a toga. That, that photograph, very famous photo. So uh, I referenced that object, that neck piece, and I made... I can, you know, it's, it's language only that's really specific to, to jewelry, which is, it was a cr- concentric chronology of Nelson Mandela's life. So what does this actually mean? So going from the neck to the edge of the, of the neck piece in sequence about his life using little pictures. So each picture was, you know, maximum size, about a centimeter square foiled, each picture foiled. 
and then joined together in a kind of chainmail fashion, and uh, and then constituted up to make like a neck piece, so a large piece, and yeah, and nice. It was exhibited at uh, Constitutional Hill, been exhibited in in America a couple of times. Um, and where does it live at the moment? Yeah, it belongs to Natalie. Okay, yeah. it, nice. it was originally commissioned by the Royal Ontario Museum in Canada, but then they decided that it was too ethnic. It was the criticism, so fine, no problem. <laughs> it sounds to me like you're a little bit ahead of your time. I mean, ethnicness in, in, in academia and art has become all the rage these days. Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. You know, then I think, look, the thing is that, um, I'd just like to throw in here that, Somehow, my interest, my focal interest has been pre-colonial history of Southern Africa when it comes to jewelry. Um, really, you know, uh, the original gold of this country, for example, it goes back to Mapungubwe, which is 900, period of 900 to 1300 AD. Uh, and, and that's where you see the famous pictures of the rhinos the rhino. that have been gilded and, and yeah. all that kind of thing. So I've got a Mishagas with a rhino, and that's... I've made sculptures around the rhino, lots of sculptures, and always referencing the original gold of Southern Africa. There's no golden calves, just golden rhinos. <laughs> golden rhinos, we're safe. As Jews, we're very safe. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then what happened is that, you know, making these little foiled um, units, I, I called them faux teams, which were visual units of information, little faux teams. And then I turned that into gold. Well, not quite alchemical, but um, I was commissioned then by Anglo Gold Ashanti to make. Um, yeah, you see, there's a, pic, a piece over there. It's uh, like a th- make 3D work using the idea of um, the little the little units uh, in fine gold. So that I made a piece that was like 525 grams of gold, um, with the same idea. Um, and referencing Mapungupwe, the, the alloys that were used at Mapungupwe, the goldsmiths of Mapungupwe, the work that they used, that, that they did, their techniques. They hammer, in, in jewelry you would alloy um, fine metal, meaning that you combine it with copper usually to make the metal hard. And the reason to do that is, I mean, I'm just giving you details. Gold is here. soft and you yeah. can't really create jewelry with it, right? Right. For the first year, it won't keep its shape so well. You'd have to use a lot more metal. And then economically, for the jeweler and for the client, you, you want to use less so that you can, you can get away with less and do more and, and keep the jewel, the jewelry shape. So, but they, the Mapungubwe jewelers, worked in fine metal. So what they did was hammer hardened. You hit with a hammer. And then also the textures on, on that work were referencing scorification on the bodies of some of the, um, and they found that the Lemba people come from that region and they scorify their bodies. So, yeah, look, that's a detail. But it's just to, to say that, um, I worked with, with, with icons of this country and also, uh, indigenous adornment, indigenous adornment objects. Uh, my, my interest is hybridity. Hybridity of, of cultures in jewelry. That's really been. An, uh, and it's quite interesting that that is is your your cultural view or your your artistic view. My, my sense is is that around the world, not just in South Africa, maybe a little bit less in Israel, but certainly in the states and the UK, at the moment there is a a sort of view that art, uh, literature, culture needs to be very somehow pure. And somehow going back to some place which is is not hybrid doesn't have an inf- say a Western influence mm. or an Eastern influence, and that we've we've moved away as the world 
from an idea that it's a good idea to to cut across cultures and, and engage with, with one another, especially stuff like indigenous art. People are talking about cultural appropriation and, uh, you know, taking indigenous people's mm. culture away from them. What is your view of, of, of that, given, you know, your view that, that art should be a hybrid, perhaps? Look, I think it's interesting. When I studied uh, fine arts, uh, there was this whole talk about globalization and, uh, you know, how... Uh, how how well, we know in the work field certainly you know that in South Africa you'll buy um, African curios made in China and you buy them at the airport and you take them home as you know, African inventors. Um, but I think that you know it's just it's a fine line. What am I actually doing? I am in a sense, despite using the word hybridity and saying cross-cultural, I'm saying I am localizing it within South Africa. I'm saying reclaim the identity of this country, you know, um, because uh, things that were not acknowledged, not addressed, um, and not given their full credit, uh, uh, I'm saying, you know, take them out of the woodwork. So whether it's um, the the magnificence of indigenous South African objects, I'm saying, yes, that is South African culture. Whether it is a Mapungubwe rhinoceros, I'm saying, yes, acknowledge that that was the level of skill, you know, before any, any white person came onto the continent, um, you know, like at least 500 years before, I mean, according to what I learned in history of the 1400s with Vasco da Gama, you know, indigenous people were doing gold work and exporting to China and all over the world. So my, my, uh, uh, Idea of the, of of if you want uh, defining the, the the national or the local the local character of jewelry is to say this is specifically South African, you know, w- without saying it's mine. It's just saying just know that you know before you guys Europe Europe America, yeah, you know, Africa was doing stuff and we were doing it pretty well. You know, you chose by your language. Uh, the length, strength of language to maybe denigrate or, or or deprecate what what was really coming out of this this, this continent, but you know um, the we, the work speaks for itself. Just know, look and uh, and you'll uh, uh, and look and acknowledge. And even if you don't acknowledge, you know this, the work the work speaks, speaks louder. Yeah, it is very interesting uh, trying to to figure out where the the, the culture sits. In, in relation to, to art. I actually just want to explain to the listeners a little bit because you spoke about, uh, the, the objects that you were making in terms of, uh, Anglo gold and, and what they look like. So to explain to the listeners, it is almost looking like a, a chain mail. They, if that's a way to describe it, it's got sort of silver bits and then inside the silver that you might expect on a chain mail, there is a piece of of art, so uh, Beverly has, for example, I've, I've, looking at here, a set of earrings uh, with a picture of Nelson Mandela in it, and inside it's framed inside the sort of silver uh, framing, uh, and there's lots of things, including I can see here a very famous tomato sauce, uh, ketchup, and jam, and all sorts of uh, iconic South African brands that that I can tell. What, what what's the idea behind that? Bringing that sort of contemporary culture into uh, these sorts of things, which is clearly more of an ancient reference? Um, yeah, looking at uh, the brands, I think I started off really in a very naive way, just thinking those are pretty. I like them. <laughs> I think they're nice colors. And then what happened is um, I had shops like Pilon or the octopus shops in London uh, wanting 
And it was a time when I was supplying 18 shops in the UK with, <laughs> with our surf Marmite Omo with, stuff. With all ex-South Africans who wanted uh, yeah, all gold on their, <laughs> on their necklace. It is. It's, it's like a <laughs> fetish, I think. People just like to see these things. And, you know, people used to look at me and say they couldn't look at me without thinking about Marmite. So, so I don't, you know, but it doesn't make a difference to me, to be honest. You know? um, yeah, so, you know, they lend... The form lends itself to, to any image and, you know, we've worked with corporates, worked with South African tourism, used their content, um, and, um, yeah, and then maybe it's, maybe it's good to speak, start to speak a little bit about, um, how, how I got to the Maxam project. Yeah, that was going to be my Sorry. next, yeah. uh, part of the, of, of, of the, of the program is that, uh, you were talking about hybridity and this, this going of, of cross, cross cultures and this particular project that you're talking about is not only doing that. It's, it's also about, um, also about using it to make a difference. So it's not just about pretty or, or even, you know, culturally relevant from an adornment perspective, as you were saying, but actually is making a, a difference in, in people's lives and uh, particularly for the Israeli Ethiopian community of Hadera. Um, you started there. Uh, talk to us a bit about what is the idea of the project and what you're trying to do. Yeah. Okay. So, and I can always have to have context. So, for myself, when I think about the extrapolation from the fact that I was living in rural KwaZulu-Natal for the first time in my life, being exposed to indigenous African lifestyle, um, learning Zulu actually, um, and then this this came to me, this inspiration, and then you know the extrapolation. I'll say this, you know, through working, for example, with the Nobel Peace Center in Oslo, we were commissioned to make jewelry for their shop using all the images of the Nobel Peace laureates. And I'll just insert there that Queen Sonia of Norway owns a necklace <laughs> made by me and my ladies. <laughs> and the photograph was taken of her at a concert in Cape Town, uh, wearing like all her regalia. And there is this, you know, all gold. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> it's an all gold Mandela necklace. Mandela, but all made, made in like alumin- thick aluminium, custom made, 120 micron aluminium, wow, silver, sterling okay. silver chain. Okay. So, so there, and then make the leap. So in the back of my mind was always, always the thought, what Jewish content can I use? I've always been looking for Jewish content. And I thought, okay, I'll use the Chakim and I try to make a range with the Chakim. And really didn't, it just looked like a bit naff, not so good. So, um, I, I came across this card, which was, uh, promoted by, I think, Witso, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Dorian Wheel was putting out the, uh, these, these cards, an A5 card, these beautiful pictures, which, um, were, like, they struck me firstly, the color. Uh, but secondly, looking closely, you see that the pictures are actually Jewish content. And the characters are, are black and, um, and the paintings are naive. There's a, just a sweetness about these paintings and I, I just fell in love with them. I just thought this, you know, I saw a mug and dorm and I thought, oh, okay, the, this, this is stuff I've been looking for. So it took me about a year to find, to get, to get permission. So who are the people who do, who do these drawings, paintings? Um, it's children who are Ethiopian Israeli immigrants and they live in Khadera. And um, they attend an afternoon program from three every day, uh, and it's called Maksam. And Maksam is apparently an Amer- 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 how you say, how you say? Yes. Amer- word meaning um, 
cross-pollination. So the whole thing sort of feeds into my thinking, uh, where B sort of pollinates, you know, gets pollen and, you know, pollinates fruit and whatever. So, um, I, you know, it's actually Telfed, who are the South African Zionist Federation in Israel, uh, who, two people particularly that I'm in touch with who volunteer there. Um, so they go from Ranana area to Hadera, which is a good hour and a half drive. And I'll tell you how I know that. <laughs> um, and um, these children, say 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds, are doing these drawings, these paintings. Bright, naive, very Ethiopian. Uh, and you feel Africa in these pictures. Moses is black. I mean, I, I just adore these pictures. So, yeah, it's um, just there's showing, a, showing me at the moment. It, it, it really does look... Uh, like your average, uh, I would say like child's drawing, but, but more than just, you know, a couple of circles with a head. They're, they're quite well skilled and yeah. very colorful, as you say. And as you said, a lot of the characters are, are, are African and, and the scenes are quite interesting. There's lots of people, lots mm. of agricultural scenes and, just and also, pe- but also scenes that you might consider to be Jewish, right? You said lots of yeah. magandovids along with the everyday objects like teapots and flowers. Yeah, so that they have quite, uh, and I think anyone who, who's, who's certainly seen African art in South Africa would relate to these sorts of images. It's almost like looking at those sort of township images, but these are more like inside a, a community. So, it, so, so, so these are the things that the kids make themselves. Yeah, this is, this is my total delight. They mm-hmm. have, you know, to find Jewish content, which is African. It's just, I like just, I'm just blown away. So, uh, and insistent that, uh, these images are going to work for the jewelry. You know, the, the form is also quite naive, you know, the little frames. So, so we're going to get, I want to get onto the frames and, and also where the work is going, as you say. But the, the, the key thing is that it is a sort of Jewish African piece of art. And, uh, and, and that's what, that's how you engage with it. So we're going to take a short break and we'll come back when we talk about, uh, the art and, uh, Maksum. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. You're back with 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. Thank you for being with us. And we're talking art today. And particularly, we've gotten onto the topic of Israeli Ethiopian art and what does it have to do with South Africa? We've got Beverly Price in the studio. She's a contemporary artist who is doing a project with this particular kinds of work. And we've been discussing it and uh, where it comes from and what does it look like. So just before the break, we were looking at uh, the art and you were telling me that now you've started a project to, to, to put it into the jewelry. So the kids draw it uh, and then what happens? Okay, so they're painted. Then uh, Telfed people scan the images uh, and they've sent me so far 10 images, 10 paintings uh, to work with. Um, and I have then put them into... Samples of necklaces, bracelets, earrings, and um, they could also be functioning as keyrings. Um, so the, the objects are made. I I now was just recently in Israel and actually went up to Hadera um, and met with the people who run the project. Spoke to some of the children in Hebrew, which is yeah. You know, to speak to an Ethiopian Israeli in Hebrew is just the most amazing. Really mind-blowing experience for me, um, and uh, we're now looking to market. So, while in Israel, um, I approached Beta to Futsut, and uh, haven't quite heard from them what they're going to be doing. 
to sell in their shops. We're targeting Jewish uh, museum environments, Jewish museum shops, Jewish and, corporates. And, and people who are, are looking at it, just, just describe it. So it's not that you're selling the paintings, right? You're actually taking this technique that we were talking about earlier with the metal uh, metal framing and and you've miniaturized it right. and, and taken those miniatures of the paintings and, and made them into different kinds of jewelry. So that's what it looks like. Exactly. So uh, they're combinations. Each necklace is a combination of uh, three or four or five of reduced versions of the paintings that children have done. And so what you see first from a distance is an impact of color. When you come up close, you see that the, these cute little drawings. So basically you're wearing drawings around your neck. You're wearing paintings around your neck. That's what it amounts to. Um, and, uh, yeah, so from there, while in Israel, I also went into a couple of galleries. And two galleries were very interested that uh, I should make, or meaning I'll explain. I'll explain on that in a minute. Um, kind of textile art which could hang on a wall, uh, made of uh, these little uh, picture units, foiled picture units, joined together, and um, it could constitute quite a nice artwork. So that opens up uh, the possibility of being commissioned, uh, possibly you know by Jewish corporates in South Africa, anywhere in the world. Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking to interest Jewish museum stores, uh, and certainly online as well. I think there's a burgeoning on scene yeah. all, all over the place in that respect. Uh, what, the other nice thing I think, which is is interesting for me, is the Africa to Africa uh, aspect because mm. uh, the stuff gets made here uh, with yourself and and trained people, non non Jews in right. in the community yeah. around Johannesburg, uh, and and so and so the. The art is being made by Ethiopian Israelis, and then the jewelry is being made by by South Africans. Um, and so there's this amazing uh, cross connection. And when they talk about life imitating art, right? We've got Bibi running around the continent speaking to all these African leaders, and in some way, this is for me the artistic version of that. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. You know, here I, I know people sit to me, and it is the form is quite iconic in the craft landscape in South Africa, and people see it even in other countries, and they feel that it's it's got an African feel about it. This this style of making jewelry. Um, yeah, I've I've taught um, a couple of women who were so-called previously disadvantaged to do the work. Uh, my goal would be for them to be able to go over to Israel and teach the mothers of these kids who are doing the paintings to make the jewelry so that they would be, you know, somehow self, self-sufficient, self-reliant to have, um, you know, their own little satellite program going on there, you know, teach the quality assurance, you know, teach all of that. Uh, that's that's my long-term goal. I mean, I'd love that. And even at the moment, all the jewelry that you're selling, a portion of the profits is then also going yeah. back into that community because, I mean, the kids are no, are getting required. royalties for the work that they're doing as no, kids, right? Yeah. I mean, I have an arrangement with Telford. Um, we signed a little contract that initially it's a 10% copyright fee that I'm paying um, for use of the images on whatever we sell. Um, and the long term would be at least, you know, to get to 50%, you know, to work towards a, a more, um, a better, a better income for, for the local people there. What, what is the community like in Hadera? I mean, is it, uh, is it very depressed? Is it very wealthy? What, what is it like that people are doing this kind of stuff? Um, the best thing I knew about Hadera is it's quite near the sea. <laughs> so, 
you know, Mel Cohen is the guy. Mel Cohen and Jeff Kaplan were the two guys who, who took me up to uh, Khadera. We, we'd gone, we'd met at Beta Tufutsort with the manager of the program, whose name is Yael Sela. And uh, I thought she was an Ethiopian Israeli. It turns out she's Ashkenazi. And um, we went up there, and really what I saw of it was just the uh, the place. Unfortunately, I didn't get a big exposure to Khadera. I mean, it's, it's a town, I guess, like any other Israeli town. But the Maksam project is located in a, um, a converted bomb shelter, a very large space. Uh, and uh, the place is decorated art. It's like an afternoon club, if you like, for the children uh, the children, I had, as I said, these conversations and each one of them said to me that Maksam for them was like, uh, like a home from home. So they had been coming for four or five years. They learned to read in English. They learned to read in Hebrew, you know, supplementing their studies. Um, I know that Mel and Jeff are involved in teaching English, you know, at, at the Maksam. Um, and the children, the kids I spoke to were very, like, bright, um, and the, one of the one of the Ethiopian Israeli women that I spoke to, Yehudit Benjamin, she explained to me that um, she was already born in Israel, but her parents walked. You know, they did like this five six month walk from Ethiopia to Israel, and you know they've got stories to tell. They've really got stories to tell. So you know, you just you're, you're humbled, you know, by just how how people get to Israel. I mean, so in other words, what you have the opportunity to do here is have. Uh, I guess the two big Jewish African populations that exist in Israel, which are the Ethiopians and the South Africans, <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of getting together and, and being able to, to help out. I mean, that program, I think, is staffed by Telfed volunteers yeah. who actually yeah, help Telfed. out with the reading mm. and, and all that kind of stuff. So this actually adds an extra layer to that. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's come independently. I'm, mm. I'm not, you know, I've had to work through Telfed because they, they were my connect, connect to, mm. um, to Maksam. And to you know, getting the permission, but you know, I've, I I work in I'm when I'm independent. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't actually matter to be honest, just as long as you get the work done. You know, so uh, yeah, I, I I really hope it succeeds. I mean, we're looking to. Uh, so, so how I mean, how long mm, has it been going on for? I made the samples about six months ago. Okay, I'm so just new, starting to new, market new, new project. Yeah, okay. we're going to have some promotion at the Jerusalem Chutzotah uh, Yotzer, the Arts and Crafts Fair, which takes place in August. Uh, somebody's taking some work for us, and we'll promote there. And so, and, and it's an international fair; people from all over the world exhibit there. So, um, and what has yeah. been the reaction to the work that you've shown to people so far? Well, people just love it. People just love it. You know, the same way as I always say, I take my jewelry for a walk. Why? You want to see what, pe- where do people eye, people's eyes go? You walk and you're sort of looking, you're doing your little market research. Where are people looking? I can wear gold, I can wear some really nice enamel work that I've made. You get like a nanosecond. When you wear this stuff, like people, people are staring. Like they're looking at you. And then, uh, like now, okay, here example. I get on a train in Israel and I get on the train, I'm sitting, just about to sit down, a woman is staring at my neck. I said, you're looking at my necklace, right? And I'm wearing one of these. She says, yes, I just love it. So it turns out she's Hungarian. <laughs> Within three minutes, I had all my stock on the table. And I sold her a pair of earrings, like there and then. So, you know, that's my experience. Twice before, I've sold off my neck. Once in Venice and once in Prague. You know, it's like hilarious. So, um, you know, okay. So just tuckless to get back. People, people like it. You know, I need to pitch it. I need to tell the story. Um, and it's not, it's not something that people need to buy because they feel sorry for anyone, 
but I think it has merit in itself. You know, they're pretty and they're, uh, they make, they would make for nice gifts. So yeah. you've just started out. Where can people see the art? Where can they, you know, if, if they want to, to purchase it? And how much do pieces mm. cost? Uh, Thanks, you know, Benji. how does that work? Yeah. Um, so they could go to, I have a Facebook page for the moment. Mm-hmm. I need to build a, a website and online uh, sales possibilities. So what's the Facebook page called? Uh, it's called Africa to Africa Jewelry Project. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there it explains about Telford and Maksam and all. Um, in terms of price, uh, in Israel, I, I did a bit of research. And so I think for the overseas market would probably be somewhere around 160 shekel, mm-hmm. which is which is quite up there, you know, for South Africans. In South Africa, my jewelry generally retails at around you know, 420, 450. Yeah. So, you know, and if we're doing corporate gifting, so it's somewhere between a wholesale and a retail price. Right. Yeah. Okay, so so there's a range of of options basically. I imagine yeah. also depending on what uh, on what you're buying and how big the pieces yeah, are. Yeah, I'm saying necklaces thing. and bracelets. I, I always use that as the benchmark. So okay. that's the start, and then backwards from there would be earrings, rings, magnets, uh, key rings. Yeah, and then yeah, hopefully we'll make big artworks with these. Beautiful yeah, paintings. absolutely. Yeah. So there we go. That's. Uh, Jewelry to Jewelry Africa project. Go have a look on the Facebook uh, and go have a look at some some really stunning stuff. Uh, I see Bev even did some stuff for the Maccabi Games. If you're looking for some something a bit different, uh, maybe for uh, Shabbos or for Rosh Hashanah, or, um, absolutely great for any of those kind of uh, occasions as well. I, I certainly know that uh, Americans that I deal with love the the sort of African art and South African art because I can't get it anywhere else and this is really unique because of the Jewish angle so I would definitely go have a look Bev thank you so much for being with us on the new Blue Review and talking to us about the art scene in general thanks I loved being here it's been terrific brings us to the end of the show for today if uh, you enjoyed the show or if you hated it or if you're just somewhere in between please let us know Benji at chai.co.za and uh, we will get back to you depending on how complimentary you are you can also tweet us uh, at uh, chai at chai that's the tag chai fm uh, on twitter and uh, even me at benji underscore shulman thank you so much for vuzi he is the sound engineer and mandy who is our producer on the show today and shalom we'll see you next week on the new blue review